Happy Sabbath, everyone. It's really good to be here. It was really good to see all like the ground wet. I was like, finally, the weather person got it right. It rained. Uh, At work at Centrelink currently, with all the floods over East, we're getting a lot of uh, flood payments. We're getting a lot of people ringing up going, why haven't I got my money yet? And I'm like, you literally just put in the claim. Give it an hour and it'll come through. But it's interesting how much it sort of tests your patience as well when people are like, no, 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 I want it now, I want it now. And you've got to kind of remember to yourself, like, this has probably gone through some quite big trauma of, uh, like, their roof caving in or something like that. And you just got to remember, like, just because I don't know what that's like doesn't mean that it is sort of uh, never happened. And so my job at Centrelink has taught me a lot about patience and, uh, and loving others that I have never met before. But um, today we're going to be looking at uh, 1 Corinthians. Specifically, I gave the wrong verses to, to Neroli. Sorry, Neroli. Uh, we're looking at verses 6 to 8, uh, not 4 to 6. I'm <laughs> so close. Um, now, everyone, I assume, is familiar with the, the chapter, the love chapter of uh, 1 Corinthians, correct? Love is patient, love is kind, it does not ever, it does not boast, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. We hear it a lot at weddings. It's like that go-to wedding verse. Now, because I studied theology at uh, Avondale uh, after about third and fourth year, that's when you go to a lot of weddings of your classmates because they're all decided I need to get married before I graduate because I don't want to go to a church alone kind of thing. <laughs> all of a sudden, all these female teaching students come dressed in wedding dresses and the male theology students like, I'll take that one. Um, <laughs> female theology students were just like, nah. We're fine. But uh, I would go to a lot of weddings, and every single wedding would have the First Corinthians uh, chapter 13. And uh, it's actually a really interesting verse, and that's what we're going to look at today. And I think it's up there with like uh, John 3.16 and all those sorts of different things. But uh, there is a difference between, I guess, knowing the verse and then knowing the verse. And I know they're the exact same thing. Like if you read a transcript of my sermon, they'd be like, she just said the same thing. But there is uh, knowing and knowing. So before we start, I'm just going to say a quick prayer, so if you just bow your heads. Hey God, thank you so much uh, for uh, your word that we're going to look into today. And Lord, as we may come out of it, may we learn something new, may we hold on to that thing that we've learned, and may we put it into our lives daily. In your name I pray, amen. Now this is my uh, third time preaching here. And so I think, uh, I think I'm in a safe space to confess something to you all, and that is I have a bit of an addiction. I'm not proud of this addiction. It's actually very shameful, but I feel like I'm in a safe space to share it all with you today. And that is I have an addiction to married at first sight. Oh, my gosh. I'm not proud of it. Oh, thank you. Did anybody else watch this season? Oh, well done, confessors. Everybody else, it's your secret shame, and I totally understand that. Now, I, I have a, a terrible addiction to Married at First Sight, and I feel blessed that I live in Western Australia because we're two hours behind. So just before Married at First Sight airs, I, I like what's going to happen, and I'm like, oh, juicy, juicy. <laughs> and then I go and watch it because I don't care. Now, Married at First Sight, for those of you who are more cultured than I am, those of you who are more sensible and have better things to do with your time than I do, I'll give you a quick recap. Married at First Sight came from the Danish 
uh, country, so I thought Danish were more cultured, but evidently not. Um, and it's about these strangers that these experts pair up thinking that they're going to be compatible and they have like this experiment uh, where they pair up these two strangers, they get married, and then they live together for three months or until they can't stand each other anymore. Um, and then at the end of the experiment, they go, yes, I'm going to stay married. Or, uh, no, we're going to go our separate ways. And then at the end, we see like six weeks later what they're like and did they cheat on each other? And oh my gosh, so much drama. And... Um, so, I, with reality TV show, the more dramatic it is, the more I watch it. Now, before anybody comes up to me afterwards and says, it's scripted, I know, I know it is. I also know that in reality TV, they have this thing called a frankenbite, which is where the editor will take one sentence that someone said, take another sentence that they've said, smush them together, and make them say it when their back is to the camera to create more drama. I'm aware of that but it's like a car crash, I just can't look away. Now there's this one person on the show this season that's caused quite a controversy, and her name, yeah, you know what I'm talking about, <laughs> her name is Olivia. Now Olivia, when I first watched her, I was like, oh, she's so sweet, she's so lovely, I hope she makes it, oh my gosh, they're such a cute couple, oh, she's broken, oh, he's gonna fix it, oh, it's beautiful, you know, and then partway through the show, she started making some comments, and I'm like, Olivia, who hurt you? And then she just turned pure evil. And um, in the way that she uh, shared a compromising photo of somebody else around the group, and then they started gossiping about it, and then she's like, I have no empathy. Now, all of Australia that watches Married at First Sight and admits it hates her. Uh, they absolutely hate her, and it floods people's Facebook. She's lost her job. She got expelled from her uni. She's probably going to be arrested for what she did. It's, it's a whole mess. And do you know what all these comments on Facebook are saying? She deserves it. Not only is it she deserves it, it's like I hope she dies in a hole kind of thing. There's death threats. There's people driving by her house yelling, swearing, and threatening her. She fears for her safety. Does she deserve it? I don't know, because I just watched what the editors wanted me to see. But every time one of the experts would tell her off, I was like, yeah, get in there, tell him, whoa, yeah, she deserves it. Or like when I read an article that she got expelled from her university, I was like, yeah, sucker. Yeah, I had a terrible Christian experience that day. Um, but it's, it's kind of like that when we see people that we think deserves bad things happening to them, we kind of rejoice a bit. We're like, yeah, justice has been served. Woo, yeah. Not realizing that, like, I don't know Olivia at all. I just know what I saw on TV. She doesn't even live in Western Australia. Never met her before. Do I sometimes think I've met people like her? Sure. But also at the same time, I don't know them. I don't even know myself very well, and I'm like 30. It's, it's 30 years, and I still don't know myself 100%. Now, what I want you guys to do is I want you guys to turn to 1 Corinthians 13. We're going to look at verse 6 in particular. And when you're there, give, it, give a shout. I had one. It was more like a, well, hey, narrowly so. Good enough. 
Uh, Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. Now, as Christians, we must love everyone, and that can be so hard. And it sort of seems impossible as well. We, we slip up. We're like, you know, someone's uh, driving up the emergency lane as you're stuck in the traffic at the freeway, and they're trying to squeeze in, and you're like, no, don't let them in. Be strong, brothers, be strong. And it just doesn't happen. And then they let them in, and you're like, oh, dang. We often manage to believe that because someone's wronged us in the past, they're going to wrong us in the future. There's going to be no change. People don't change. People have that sort of belief. And, and, and the last time I preached here, I preached about Jonah. He had that belief to the point where he said, you know, three to five words, and he was out of Nineveh. He didn't care what happened to them because he believed that people don't change. You know, delighting when someone gets in trouble, delighting when they, uh, then you think justice has been served. It happens a lot with siblings. Yeah, I'm, I'm one of four. And uh, my older sister and I, we used to fight like crazy. And when, whenever one of my parents used to tell them off, when my parents' back was to me, I'd be like, <laughs> And uh, yeah, we were super close, my siblings. <laughs> There's a, a photo that was on my bedside table when I was in college, and it was of my older sister and I hugging. And she had the same photo on her bedside table. It was really beautiful. But whenever her and I had a fight, our fight would last for like months because we didn't see each other or didn't talk to each other. And there was another photo behind that photo. And it's a photo of me holding a rose in a dress my nana made in a nursery. And my sister's behind me crying. Now, I don't remember why she was crying, but I like to think it's because I got the better rose. So I changed the picture around, and I'm like, yeah, that's the only time I've won. (laughs) Um, But this is the thing. This is often what we do. It's like our, our level of happiness Uh, kind of goes up sometimes when somebody that we don't particularly like or we particularly feel like they need to suffer, we sort of get happiness from that, a little bit of happiness. And that's not what love is. In verse 7, it says, It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Now, I love the way the ESV puts it, which says it bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Now, I want to look at the original Greek because I paid a lot of money to do Greek. I am one of the only people at Avondale that have done it five times. So we're going to look at some Greek. And uh, the first word I want to look at is the word bears. Now, the Greek word for that is stego. You guys say stego? We'll get better. Stego. (laughs) It appears four times in the Bible and it's only said by Paul. Now, it's similar to a flood wall. So if you've seen the, uh, the footage from over east of the flood walls and how much like pressure in the current going and smashing up to it, these walls bear a lot of things. It's also found in 1 Corinthians 9 verse 12, meaning to put up, or 1 Thessalonians 3 verse 1, which means stand. It is an immovable object. The next word is pisto. Can you guys say pisto? Yeah. Okay, pisto means faith, so don't name your child faith in Greek because they will get teased. Uh, Pisto means to believe, entrust, or have faith. The word as a whole is the same one we use to describe the faith that people have in God and in Jesus. And a lot of these times, you know, the Bible says to have faith, it can move mountains. So to have faith 
in someone when you love them is an incredible thing. God has faith in us. It's faith that healed people through Jesus, and it's a confidence in the goodness of humanity. Then there's, oh, this one's pretty hard to say. Oh, no, wait, I can't read. Um, El Paisai. El Paisai? Okay, don't repeat after me anymore. That's all right. <laughs> it means also to expect or to hope. So you have faith and then you have hope. And this is essentially to expect the best in people and to not let their history govern your opinion of them. It's to be open to the possibility of someone changing. There's this one thing that I always try to remember is that first impressions are often entirely wrong. I remember when we had to do our like theology interviews and uh, my friends were like, Carly, just, just be yourself, you know, just be yourself. And I was like, yeah, but how long did it take you to like me? And one of my friends was like, man, the jury's still out on that. And I was like, oh, okay. But first impressions are often entirely wrong because it also depends on the situation. For a job interview, you're probably super, super nervous. And so it's not going to be your best self because in the back of your head, you're like, I hope they like me, I hope they like me, I hope they like me. Um, you know, to use the, the example of Married at First, you know, the first episode, I was like, man, this couple's going to make it. They're beautiful, they're wonderful. And the next episode, they're at each other's throat. And it's like, no, never mind then. Then there's also... Um, Oh, I didn't write the English part of this. Uponimo. Uh, Uponimo. Yeah, don't repeat after me. It's a tongue twister. <laughs> it means to stay behind, to wait, to persevere, and to endure. It's literally remaining under the load. That when everything is on top of you, instead of just stepping away and letting it fall, you hold onto it. I, have a, I used to work at Subway for about four years. Um, two of those were for the whole year. The other two were on and off when I came home from Avondale. And uh, there was this one time when I was taking the cookies out of the oven, and the oven mitt goes from your, your fingers, obviously, up to here. And so I took it out, and the tray was resting there, and I went to put it to cool down, and it bumped, and the tray sat there, straight out of the oven. Now, a normal person would have dropped the tray and just gone, no. But me, I was like, these are white chocolate macadamia cookies. And so I was like standing around and my friend's like trying to push it off, but she didn't have oven mitts on, so she was burning herself. But for me, it was like, these cookies must be saved. They didn't, they ended up getting dropped. But still, though, even when, like now I have like a little scar here from, from my first job, but even when the, the burning was happening, I'm not gonna let go. Or like when you're carrying like a really heavy TV and it's worth a lot and you're like, don't, don't let go, don't let go. But in this case, it's also about uh, like the, the struggle that you have. You know, this is saying that this is an endurance race. It's not a sprint. And the question is, is like when it comes to love, what is your fitness level? Because my physical fitness level is that I get puffed when I watch people do sport. I'm just like, oh gosh, oh, I feel like I've run the marathon. <laughs> not seen the five minutes of footage of it. Um, but when it comes to love or when it comes to life, like what is your endurance for it? Well, you know, a theology degree takes four years. I took seven. And it wasn't like I did two subjects this year and then two subjects another year. It was, it was the full load the whole time because I kept failing subjects. Because the, the reason for that was because that seven years was, it was really hard. And it wasn't hard academically necessarily. 
I mean, it was, but that wasn't the forefront. You know, going to college uh, at the time uh, of my life, it, it, was, it was a bit of a difficult time, but I was like, this is probably the best time. And it was my first time living away from home, and I had no family over there that I was close with, like, because I'm a hospital related to everyone. Um, but I had no family that I, I knew of. And so I got really, really bad depression. And then that depression lasted for a couple of years. And then after the depression came what they thought was uh, epilepsy. They thought I was having all these absent seizures. But it turned out to be uh, an anxiety disorder. I was just blacking out in class, and I'd be exhausted coming out of it. Um, and then I'd be so well, my body would be like, we're going to do a reset. And then I got over that, and I took a semester off. And then when I came back, uh, it was 2016. And 2016 was, was not a great year. I was like, yes, I'm ready. Got my passion back. I'm ready to do this. I'm healthy. The only thing that could stop it is if maybe someone died, because it's been a while but that's the only thing, like, it's not a big deal. Three weeks in, uh, a car accident occurred on uh, Freeman's Drive, which is the road that college turns off onto. And we got a notification on our, our dorm Facebook page to say that a car accident had occurred, that there was um, someone had died, and not to go down that road, go the other way if you want to go into Morissette. And I was like, oh, okay, thanks. There was a car accident two weeks earlier. It didn't seem new to me. We heard the helicopters, we heard the ambulance, and we heard we news because uh, it was a car had hit a school bus. And they focused more on the school children, and they were like, it's okay, none of the children were injured. And then we went off and we played basketball, and I was part of the, I know, basketball, my fitness level, I was part of my church's basketball team. We had a bunch of teen girls, and I was the high school leader, so I was on this basketball team. And not many of our boys' church basketball team were present. And we thought that was a bit odd. More odd was that our coach wasn't there as well. She wasn't present. And we were like, oh, I wonder where she's gone. And then we were told that our coach's husband, his cousin, was the driver of the car. And it still didn't click. Because I was like, he's an islander. He has a bunch of cousins. I don't know who it is. And then we saw a friend of ours from church, and she said, you know, we said hello to her, and she looked really, really sad, and we were like, oh, I wonder what that's about. And then I went into my room, and my friend went down to level one, who I was walking with, we both went to the same church, and turned on Facebook, and there was a picture of a friend of mine who was a first-year theology student, LaFi, and it had all these sorts of comments, and I thought, well, maybe someone's gone through all his Facebook pictures and, like, commenting on them so it shows up and trolls everyone. And then there was one phrase that made me pause and freak out, and it said, see you in the morning. And Adventism, that means rest in peace. It was my friend LaFi, who was the driver of the car that hit the bus, and his, he died. And I was devastated because he was in one of my classes that I was repeating, and I couldn't go back into that room because he stayed in the same spot every time. And the first time I went there, someone else was sitting in there, and I freaked out and, and left. Uh, three weeks later, um, a family friend of ours, he died. And then four weeks after that, 
Um, my friend Chris Roop, she passed away from cancer. And then five minutes later, my father rang me and told me that my grandmother had died. And I was like, I can't do this anymore. And I was, I was absolutely terrified. And it's like, how long do you hold on to a load until you let go? How long do you struggle with something before you just stand back and go, nah? And then, three months later, another family friend of mine ended her own life. And 2016 was not a great year. Um, and uh, I remember during break, and I was like, I'm on academic probation. If I fail a subject, that's it. It's over. It's done with. While I could write another appeal, the question is, should I do it? And then we got our test results back, and our, our academic results. And uh, it was a pass in everything which shocked me because, first of all, Greek was one of them. So I finally passed Greek. And secondly, one of them shouldn't even have had a mark because we were supposed to do an um, internship over break and I hadn't written my report yet. So how I got a pass, I'll have no idea, but I'll never question it. The, the struggle that you go through. And then after 2016, <laughs> I had a year which was pretty good. And then in my final year, final semester, Two days before going back to college, I found out that I was diagnosed with diabetes. So that was, that was a great college experience. It was awesome. But again, how long do you hold the load until you stand back and let it go? And my answer to that is, well, it depends on what it means. It depends on what the result will be. For me, it meant that if I hold on, and I keep holding on and I keep struggling with this. Eventually, I'm going to go where I believe God tells me that I'm going to end up. But if you are, let's say, in a relationship with someone where they're horrible to you, they're cruel to you, they abuse you, and you go, I need to hold on to this, I need to keep going, well, what's the end result going to be? I think that's when it's okay to step back and go, enough. It depends on what you're struggling with. It depends on what you're wrestling with. If it means the result at the end is going to bring you closer to God, if that means that the result at the end is going to bring somebody else closer to God, then absolutely keep that struggling, keep going. I will implore you, encourage you to keep going. But if, that person, if that's just going to make, like, hurt the other person or hurt you in a detrimental way and there's no positive outcome, then it's okay to just go, it's fine. And the last word in this, this verse, or it's actually before each of these words says always, always perseveres, always, uh, always rejoices, always, always, always. The thing about the word always is that it has no beginning. It has no end. It has no middle. It's always. It's eternal. And the word for love in this verse is agape, the unconditional love. And so this unconditional love that's been there all along, it's been a part of it before we were even there. This is the kind of love that never expires, the kind of love that even after we go, it will still live on. This is the kind of love that we see through uh, with someone named Peter. We're all familiar with Peter in the Bible. 
He had a reputation of uh, doing before thinking, speaking before thinking, just not really thinking. He was impulsive and spontaneous. He often acted without thinking. He walked on water thinking he could do it himself. He told people to leave Jesus alone. He fell asleep when praying with Jesus. He cut off a man's ear because he felt threatened. I mean, like an ear. I would probably go with a hand. Uh, he cursed. Uh, he denied Jesus three times, even swearing and cursing at those who pointed out his affiliation with Jesus and all the important people. If the disciples were in a group photo, Peter probably should have been standing next to Judas, and they probably should have been at the back of the photo. You know, where you're like, oh, well, we have to include him, but we'll try and make him as inconspicuous as possible. It should be so easy to write someone off, and in some ways, we feel a sense of justice when they fail that they deserve it. I will never give them a chance because of what they've done. I've given them so many chances and they ruined each and every one of them. They're going to have to work to change my mind, to change my opinion. They have a past and I will never forget it. And here's the interesting thing about Peter is that when we have the, um, when we talk about the, the Last Supper, you know, and the way that they sat, and this I believe shows Jesus' true character and this true sort of love thing that we see, is that it was sort of like a, it's not like the Da Vinci picture, but it was more like a U-shape. And then like in the middle, you would have the host in the middle, and then John was on one side, and then the other side was for the guest of honor, right? The one that, you know, you truly want to honor. Does anybody want to guess who was in the seat next to Jesus? It was Judas. Judas was in the guest of honor position. And then the person closest to the door was the server position, the serving one. Now, knowing what we know about Jesus and his value of those who serve and those who are selfless, for me, I feel like that's probably where Jesus would have put the person he values the most. Any guesses as to who was that? It was Peter. It was kind of like Jesus was saying to Peter, your job is going to be serving and you know how I value those who serve and are selfless. That, that whole last meal that Jesus had kind of demonstrated this whole thing. It's ironic that we end up feeling that, that sense of justice when, uh, when people stuff up. When we read news stories of those that we feel like have done wrong, having something embarrassing or wrong happen to them. The, uh, the sense of accomplishment in some cases. And not only that, then we jump on that bandwagon and we join in. Whether it's that we do it publicly on Facebook or whether it's that we do it in private in our own minds, but we still jump on that bandwagon. We often don't give people another chance because they've blown it over and over again, proved that our expectations are right. But that verse, it says that it bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. It kind of feels like when we do jump on that bandwagon, we drop the ball. Sometimes, not only do we drop the ball, but we kick it away too. We're just like, I don't want to even look at it. I want it as far away from me as possible. But my question is, what if 
God had that attitude? What if God had that exact same attitude? What if God was like, oh, Kalia, we've been over this. You can't be happy when reality TV stars have something bad happening to them. I'm not going to forgive you this time. It's the 10th time in a row we've been over this. What if God uh, just had enough and was like, look, we've already talked about this. I already forgave this five times already. Not anymore. You know when Jesus had the 70 times 7 forgiveness thing and it was 490? I always wondered why it was that number. And was that because, I think it's because you'll never meet somebody who go, well, that's the 307th time that they've done this. I'm not very good at math, so I don't know how far away that is from 490. I should have said 390. But anyway, (laughs) only so much to go. (laughs) Nobody carries around a book with a list of names with a tally on each one. And if they do, they need a Bible study. They need a very deep, in-depth Bible study. But the reason why Jesus said it is because no one really could get to that much. You meet so many people in your lives to counter that much for each person. Ridiculous. And I'm hoping that after the 272nd time, they would see how ridiculous it is. And I would hope they would meet somebody who has a black book and is like, yep, done. It doesn't keep score. And that's why Jesus said it. What if God had that attitude of you have to work to change my mind on this? I guess this is what made me go from I know this verse to I know this verse. And Jesus knew this. Jesus knew that people made mistakes and he forgave. Peter denied Jesus Three times, and so when Jesus came back, he asked Peter three times, Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? It's not because Jesus wanted Peter to work for that forgiveness, it's because I think Peter felt immense guilt and immense regret seeing Jesus, and Peter needed to be restored. The thing that I love about Easter is not just remembering that Jesus died for us, but also remembering that Jesus lived the way that I have lived, in that he experienced all the experiences that I will experience in my life. Not that he sinned or watched married at first sight. But it's more that Jesus was born as a baby. He grew up as a child. He went through adolescence. Then he lived as an adult. He lost He cried. He wept. He got hurt. And then he was made the villain. He was made the villain unfairly. He hung on that cross and you had about a small handful of people who were like, no, this should not be happening. And then you had a huge amount of people saying, stab him, kill him. He should be dying. This is justice. The people that he ministered, the people that he loved, the people that he wanted to minister to, they all just stood there and watched it happen. It's always so hard. And what did he say just before he died? Forgive them. Forgive them. 
this, this verse in 1 Corinthians because the, the church, the, the 1 Corinthians book that Paul writes to this letter is to tell people about God, about the love. Because the, the Corinthian church, uh, they either went too conservative or they went too liberal. There was not the middle ground that needed to be. And so Paul's trying to describe what needed to happen. It's hard to always love, but it's amazing when we are always loved. The world writes people off based on their race. They decide they're not worth their time based on their orientation, that they shouldn't be included in the picture based on their past. As Christians, we fight that, but people will stuff up, and they will drive you nuts, and they will disappoint you, but we are part of God's church. Now, our job is to reflect the character of God through the example that Jesus gave. That when people see us, they see the love of God. We must show this kind of love, one that doesn't let negativity get in, the one that looks the best for everyone, expects the best in people instead of the worst. And if we are disappointed, that we're able to move past that. That we can help people change because people change people through God. And that we remain and stand by those even when times get hard. Because love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. So may you remember this. May you stand firm. May you hold on. May you endure to things that will help you get closer to God and will help bring others closer to God. And when you just can't hold on, and when you just feel that love is a bit too hard, may you cry out to show you the way. Amen. I'm just going to pray. Hey, God, thank you so much that you showed us this example of love, that when you sent your son down to minister to us, that he was able to show us who God is. And Lord, I just pray that as we leave here, that we remember this lesson, and that when we do struggle to love those around us, we cry out to you to show us the way. In your name I pray. Amen.